Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, Jason Moser and Andy Cross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey. Hey, Chris. We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We've got a few stocks on our radar, and we have a lot of earnings to get to. But we're going to begin once again with the big macro. Nearly 4 million Americans filed for unemployment this week. That brings the total to 30 million unemployed since the pandemic hit America. And yet, Andy Cross, somehow April was the best month for the S&P 500 since 1987. Yeah, Chris, you really see those headlines and then you see the stock performance in April and you just think that there's just some disconnect with what investors are seeing. Now, we're still off from the highs, so clearly the the COVID pandemic that is facing all of us continues to have that impact, so we're down from the highs. But it's been a really nice rebound. Um, really, the April, which is pretty much across the board, energy was actually the best performing um, sector in the S&P 500. Um, but clearly tech and consumer are, are seeing a nice rebound as well. And you just look at the numbers, Chris, and you look at how each of us is interacting day by day. And you can t- I just can't help but think you continue to see this divide between the digitals um, haves and the digital have-nots and the companies that are really reacting well to this um, to the pandemic. And as we are using more Zoom and Google solutions and Microsoft solutions, Apple, Apple solutions, much more digital solutions, those companies, not just during the pandemic, but also through the pandemic, will continue to, to do well and, and thrive. And those that aren't, that are much more tied to the traditional economy are the ones that look like they're going to be the ones that are going to be long-term uh, dragging behind. So, But clearly a lot of excitement in April with, with uh, the news that's coming out about potentially improving and unlocking economy longer term. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we've ever really, you know, made the argument that the market makes a lot of sense in the short run, right? I mean, that that's uh, something we talk about all the time is that these these near term uh, market behaviors aren't always so so easy to fully make sense of, and and that's why I you know I think it really uh, really supports our argument of always be invested, right? Always be investing. I mean, it's it's just so difficult to try to to figure out ways to get in and out of. Of uh, of the market, you would think maybe this this would be a, a tumultuous time for the market, but but here we are. Obviously, it was it was one one heck of a month, and I think part of that really just speaks to the source of all of all of this. Really, when it boils down to it, I mean, there is a finish line here, right? I mean, at some point we will have uh, this this virus under control, whether that's in the form of treatments or whether that's in the form of vaccine. Uh, so, so I mean, this isn't something where I think we're looking at ultimately a lost decade. I mean, I've had questions before about the Great Depression versus what's going on now. And I mean, I think let's remember the, the causes of the Great Depression, right? There were a number of causes, and it's difficult to really pinpoint one thing there. We know the cause of this, right? And, and, and we also know really the ultimate solution of this. And, and it's just a matter of buying time. And so we've seen that our, our government is going to get in there and do what it can uh, to provide the liquidity to buy us as much time as possible. And I think that's something to remember. Uh, but ultimately, you know, there is a finish line. That's something to always keep in mind here. I think so why the, that, that's why the market is willing to give this thing a, a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more credit than perhaps we were, we were thinking it might give at the beginning of the year. You know, my comments about the energy market and the in April aside, 
We are now looking at a very concentrated market. More than 20% of the S&P's market cap is tied to five companies, five of the largest companies. And you haven't really seen that since you have the dot-com craze of the, of the late 90s and the 2000s. So you're seeing a concentrated market. And that, that sometimes is a little bit scary for, for investors um, uh, over the shorter term, I think. So um, I still think there's just some uncertainty about how investors and, and algorithms um, can, can uh, react to what is happening uh, in the consumer uh, business and businesses in general, but also we can't we can't uh, forget all the trillions of dollars that the Federal Reserve is pumping into the economy to keep things humming along. All right, let's get to some earnings, and we're going to start with Amazon. Shares of Amazon down more than seven percent on Friday after first quarter sales came in north of seventy-five billion dollars, but the higher than expected sales came with Amazon's statement that it plans to spend all profits from the second quarter responding to the pandemic, and Jason, anyone who has watched Jeff Bezos for a while cannot be surprised by this. No, I mean, you can't be surprised at all. Uh, this, this is, you know, much of the same here. I, the, the retail business continues to impress. 27% growth in revenue, overall revenue, excluding currency effects. And, and you know, I think what we're really seeing, though, beyond the growth in Amazon's business, another word they mentioned in the release and, and something they talked about in the call, that's the durability of this business. I mean, we're at a point now, like it or not, this is a business that really needs to exist. And I think it goes to show the value in thinking the way that Jeff Bezos does, the way he's always thought about this business in such long time frames. Uh, that that's starting to pay off now far beyond just the growth of the business into the durability of the business, the importance of this business. Uh, but if we dig down into the results there, I think you know one of the encouraging Aspects of the business here, we talked a lot about Amazon Web Services. Uh, that hit $10 billion in sales for the quarter. They boosted the operating margin there to 30% versus 28.8% uh, a year ago. And just to go back to that point you were noting there earlier, just so we can get some clarification there for listeners, so they understand exactly what was said there in the release. And I'm going to just go ahead and read the quote real quick so it makes sense. They say in the, in the release, if you're a share owner in Amazon, you may want to take a seat because we're not thinking small. Under normal circumstances, in this coming quarter too, we'd expect to make some $4 billion or more in operating profit. But these aren't normal circumstances. Instead, we expect to spend the entirety of that $4 billion and perhaps a bit more on COVID-related expenses, getting products to customers and keeping employees safe. Again, the durability of the business allows them to think this way. And as a Share owner, you know, listen, I'm not taking a seat. I'm standing up and applauding this move because I really like it. Apple's second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. And Andy, we can also add Apple to the short list of companies raising their dividend in this environment. Very short list, Chris. Uh, it was a good, actually a, a, a pretty good result considering that China sales were down 8% during the quarter, announced that, like you mentioned, it's going to increase its dividend by 6% and authorize another $50 billion uh, in, in share buybacks. Revenues are up 1%, slightly ahead of estimates. Um, it was at $58 billion down from the $63 billion that, the, uh, that they were expecting before the, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic really started to, to hit. 
Product sales were down 4%. That's including a 7% drop in iPhones. Now less than 50% of total sales versus 53% last quarter. Services continues to be the bright spot for Apple, as we've talked about time and time again, that those revenues were up almost 17% um, and now make up 23% of the sales versus 20% of the sales last quarter. Um, a really strong January, but then, then the COVID pandemic started to hit and, and dent February and March. So overall, a really pretty nice quarter for Apple, considering what was happening in China and then what would happen really in, in February and March of this year. They now have 515 million paid subscriptions across all of their services. That's up by 125 million from a year ago or more than 30% growth, uh, growth. And they'll cross that 600 million mark this calendar year, which is what they expected. And wearables, home, and accessories were at 6.3 billion, Chris. That was up 23%. So really, I think that you look at Apple and you say, wow, yes, they were really hit hard by what happened in China and they're starting to see some slowdown. But overall, a pretty nice quarter. Well, and we've talked about this before. One of the things that Apple's enormous pile of cash affords it is the patience to see segments like wearables and services pay off because there was a point in time where those were a tiny fraction of what Apple was doing every quarter in terms of their business. And this latest report, it's roughly $20 billion. Yeah, it's actually a, continues to be the, the bright spot for Apple. Now, the iPhone is such a key part to their ecosystem. So when those sales are down overall, there's some concern there. But I think a lot of that was just considering the environment that we're in. And there's maybe some hope that there's a lot of pent up demand when you look at over the next um, you know 12 to 18 months as we begin to continue to go and shop in those stores that we'll see some some bright spots um, on the iPhone sales. They did flag some challenges with um, advertising and Apple Care for, for June. So that's something to watch. Let's move to the war on cash. Visa and MasterCard reporting this week. MasterCard's first quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Similar story for Visa's second quarter results and Jason, both stocks up this week. Yeah, I mean, in, in regard to Visa, uh, this, this is not just the car that's in your wallet company anymore. They're really focused on this, uh, this, this massive new flows segment of the business, this opportunity that they refer to as new flows. And ultimately, this is focusing on everything from business to business, and that's big business and small business, person-to-person, uh, -person, business-to-consumer, and even government-to-consumer. And, and particularly now, government-to-consumer, we're finding that to be a bit more relevant uh, these days. But all in all, it totals $185 trillion opportunity of money moving around the world. And that's really where Visa and, and MasterCard are also uh, headed with their with their networks. And I think it's it's important to, to really stress the value of that network there. They're facilitating the movement of this money. Uh, but when we look at Visa, revenue was up 8% for the quarter, uh, excluding currency effects. They now have 3.5 billion cards issued in total. Uh, they did withdraw guidance simply because it just it's too nebulous at this point. Uh, but again, it's not just consumer payments. It's everything from consumers to business to governments. Uh, the long-term uh, tailwinds, though, you do have to love. I mean, money continues to move around. Uh, looking at some specific relationships, they renewed their relationship with Square. Uh, I think it's really important for people to recognize that Visa and Square, these are two businesses that like each other. Their success, you know, that begets success both ways. And, and you're seeing value play out of the, in this Visa Direct platform, which is ultimately leveraging that network to get money pretty much anywhere fast at this point. Uh, I did think it was interesting, the disparity 
in the share repurchase philosophy between the two companies, MasterCard, uh, they're sort of diplomatically suspending at this point. Uh, that'll be temporary in nature. But Visa, really, they're kind of putting their foot on the gas. They bought back 17.8 million shares for around 3.2 billion dollars for the quarter. They have a plan to buy back over nine billion dollars in stock this fiscal year. That absolutely remains unchanged because they don't see this COVID-19 crisis as something that is fundamentally challenging to the long-term nature of the business, right? Money still has to get from point A to point B, and I think they're really uh, showing the value in that network there. I suspect uh, they'll, they'll be set up for many, many good years to come. Shares of Alphabet up this week after first quarter revenue came in higher than expected. And Andy, this seems like one of those situations where the comments from leadership is what drove the stock more than the results. Yeah, Chris, I think expectations were pretty muted because there's been talks at from the from the CEOs, uh, from the CEO and from the company about hiring freezes and pullback and some of the spendings. Um, but but you know overall, um, pretty nice revenues up 13 percent. Um, operating income down a little bit. That um, when you account for the 1.7 billion dollar European Commission fine from last year. But like you mentioned, the commentary is really what's it, what's important. Um, performance was strong during the first two months of the quarter, but then in March it really pulled back. Um, Sundar Pichai, the the CEO, talked about a tale of two quarters. So that strong beginning really tough at the end. Um, Ruth Porat, really, she's very conservative. I really like what she's brought, a lot of discipline to the financial picture. She's the CFO. She talked about, we anticipate a second quarter that will be a difficult one for the advertising business. A lot of excitement around search with COVID terms, but they don't know how much that will monetize. Still a very well-run company. 100 million students now and educators are using Google Classrooms. That's double just from what they saw at the beginning of March. So when I talked about those digital halves, Google and Alphabet continue to be the space. YouTube advertising, another bright spot, up 33% in the quarter, Chris. Coming up, earnings palooza rolls on, so stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Andy Cross and Aaron Bush, who is tagging in for Jason Moser. Uh, Aaron, real quick before we get to uh, Facebook's latest results, um, how are you thinking about the disconnect between what's happening in the market and what's happening in the economy. Yeah, I think what the guy said earlier, I mostly agree with. I think we just see a confluence of lots of different factors right now. The market is forward thinking. The mix of what companies have like become a larger percentage of the markets or a smaller percentage, that has changed. <laughs> the trillions in dollars in stimulus helps. People still need a place to put their money. And obviously, things are still playing out. And it's going to get better for some, worse than others. But the disconnect is real, but I think over time, uh, we'll start to see things connect back in a more logical way. You know, Facebook's first quarter results seemed a lot like Alphabet's. You know, the ad revenue fell in March. It sort of stabilized in April, and that stock's up nearly 10% this week. Yeah, I mean, on the consumption layer, things are holding up really well. They have 2.6 billion monthly active users, over 1.7 billion coming daily. So the, the Facebook platforms are more relevant than ever. Now, on the business front, results held up pretty well. Revenue was up 17%, record-free cash flow. Obviously, some of that came before the, the worst of the economic crisis hit. Um, but, but still, this is a business that has held up really well. And I think a lot of it, uh, you can point to some patterns where brand advertising has fallen off, uh, but Facebook has, has a really strong direct response advertising business where people pay or companies pay for specific consumer responses. 
Um, and so a lot of companies have filled those voids when ad prices have fallen. Lots of stronger companies like e-commerce companies or gaming companies have really stepped up and have started spending more. And Mark Zuckerberg um, has been pretty clear in saying that he still sees pretty major opportunities. Facebook is continuing to hire. They're continuing to, to spend in order to capture opportunity, both in attracting more users, improving their core platforms, adding more products, and making sure that Facebook is doing its part um, to help the world battle this ongoing pandemic. So Facebook, it still is a pretty noisy business, and it still will get a lot of criticism, but there still is a lot of reason to be bullish when you kind of look under the covers and see how, how strong this business is performing. Let's move to food and beverage. Um, Andy McDonald's first quarter, same sort of thing. It was, results were good early in the quarter, fell off uh, as COVID-19 hit. And I'm just struck by the fact that this is a global restaurant. More than half of McDonald's international restaurants are closed right now. Chris, you got that right when you talk about the uh the uh, two different kind of quarters. Uh, in January and February, global comps were up 7.2% and they finished down 3.4% versus a growth of 5.4% last quarter. Global comps are down 22% in March. So you can really see the impact. Chris Kepzinski, Kip, Chris the CEO, um, relatively new CEO, talked about January and February sales doing really well. But then we saw this with recent with, with the restaurant closures, limited operations and what they call dramatic changes in customer behavior, leading them to withdraw their 2020 guidance and really cut their CapEx spending looking forward. Operating cash flow will be much lower for the year. So um, they continue to do what you have to do when you're running that kind of store and it's a $100 billion mark cap company, huge company, 40,000 stores, but obviously it's a tough go in the face of this pandemic. Uh, Aaron, Starbucks, uh, the global same-store sales were down 10% in the second quarter. And Kevin Johnson, the CEO, he's working to open every store in America by early June. And I don't want to gloss over the earnings report, but that, this is going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, it definitely will be interesting to watch. My my hunch is that the numbers were bad this quarter. Next quarter will will get even worse. But this this really is the type of situation where similar to McDonald's, you really like you can't extrapolate what's going on right now too much. Like as a long term investor, you you still need to kind of go back to the basics and recognize Starbucks has a great brand. When times normalize, it will reaccelerate new store openings, openings of existing stores. It still has pricing power. Um, it has a great digital presence. So all of these factors, um, it, it, it sucks in the short term, but in the long run, all of those same factors still exist and point to Starbucks being a business that can turn itself around pretty well, especially compared to 99% of other restaurant type companies out there. More headlines after the break, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Aaron Bush. And Jason Moser is back, tagging in for Andy Cross, who will be here Daddy. later in the show. Um, shares at Twitter down a bit, despite good results in the first quarter, Jason. I mean, it, it, it seems like this was a little bit of the reverse of what we saw with Google and Facebook. Um, Twitter executives definitely not saying that the worst is behind them, in part because 
live events. Live events help drive engagement on Twitter, and the executives at Twitter were pretty upfront about the, the impact they're feeling there. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a mixed bag, I think is, is, is fair to say. It certainly feels like Twitter has the opportunity here to meaningfully grow its audience as it's being seen, I think, as a source of information right now as opposed to, to really entertainment. Though, though is there, a, there, there is a lot of entertaining stuff out there right now, Chris. Uh, I, I think the real question, though, is can they keep that audience? And we're going to have to just wait and see there. But in regard to the numbers, that monetizable daily active user number reached $166 million, uh, for the quarter. That was up 24% from a year. That marks the fifth consecutive quarter of double-digit growth there, so that's good. Uh, revenue of $808 million represented 3% growth. That wasn't bad. They had a pretty good quarter, but they really did show the, the impact of, of coronavirus. From March 11th until March 31st, total advertising revenue actually declined about 27%, and I don't think they're really out of the woods there yet. They are going to have some capital expenditures ramping up here uh, in the year as their aim to build a data uh, center is going to be pushed back a little bit due to supply chain constraints there. So they're going to be spending a little bit more money. And of course, uh, guidance is, is still somewhat nebulous as well. Uh, the balance sheet remains a point of strength. They have $7.7 billion in cash and short-term investments there. Uh, so they're going to be buying back some shares. And it, it's just, again, it seems like they keep on recording these mixed bag quarters. I think it's just a matter of, of finding out, can they really grow that audience and keep the audience and then meaningfully monetize that audience. They just continue to have trouble doing that on a sustainable basis. But, but this is certainly a point of time where, where they have that opportunity as it's being seen uh, as, as a platform of, of information. And right now that's valuable. First quarter revenue for Spotify rose 22% and Spotify now has 130 million paid subscribers. Aaron, really seems like there's a lot to like in this quarter. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty impressed with what Spotify is putting up right now. To be clear, though, I don't think that Spotify is a fantastic business yet, but I think it's doing a lot of solid work that will make it a much better business in the future. So, right, as you mentioned, they continue to amass a ton of active users and then convert them into to paying subscribers. So they now have 286 monthly active users, 130 million of those are now paying um, and even though there's a lot of competition out there, it's pretty clear to me that Spotify is the one who, one, is innovating the most, and two, is becoming the aggregator of all audio in, in general. Uh, they throw out a couple of interesting stats. 70% of users who churn out come back within 45 days. I thought that was impressive. And then podcast listening has also been a bright spot, which is also more profitable for them. It's growing. And 70% of new podcasts that are put on Spotify are made on Anchor, which Spotify purchased last year. So from a strategy standpoint and a user standpoint, things are looking really strong. Revenue growth of 22% is good. It's not as strong as user growth due to heavy free trials, but I think that there is reason to think that it can go steadily high like this for a few more years. They also expect to be free cash flow positive for the year. And even though music isn't that profitable of a business to be in, if they're successful in aggregating all of audio as a whole, the room for profitability goes much higher. So even though Spotify isn't a perfect business today, I like what I'm seeing them do right now. And I think that they're setting the groundwork to be a much better business in the future. On a related note, I'll just add that uh, anyone on Spotify can get all five of the Motley Fool's podcasts <laughs> as part of their offering there. So check that out if you're on the Spotify. Uh, let's go back to big tech. Microsoft shares up a bit this week after third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. And Jason, 
feel like we say this every quarter, the Azure cloud business just continuing to get it done. It, it really is. You're right. I think similar to what we were, we were talking about with Amazon earlier, what's so impressive with Microsoft at this point in the game, it's the durability of this business. It, the fact that it is so important and it plays such a big role in everything that we do. It, they talked about it on the call, this realization of the digital economy. They're seeing essentially two years of digitization being pulled forward into two months due to conditions on the ground. And, and I think the continued efforts on the part of Satya Nadella to continue to invest in that cloud business it's clearly paying off. Uh, I mean, if you look at the overall results, $35 billion in revenue, up 15% from a year ago. Even more impressive, that operating income number grew 25%. That brought it down to the bottom line, 23% growth in earnings per share. Um, but, but back to the cloud business, that intelligent cloud segment of the business revenue of $12.3 billion, it was up 29% thanks to that Azure revenue growth of 61%. So yeah, you said it there. The Azure platform continues to get it done. And I tell you, on a, on a separate note there, you could see in the call, this really does seem like a moment for, mob up for Microsoft Teams. I mean, it does seem like in, in a world driven by headlines with of, of Slack and Zoom, Microsoft Teams is starting to step up their game. And, and you're seeing some really impressive numbers beyond just those, those user numbers, but just the partnerships that they're forming, the educational institutions that are depending on that platform, the NFL, big companies like Accenture and Pfizer and SAP. Uh, it's not going to be the biggest revenue driver, but again, I think it goes back to the durability of this business, the need for this business. And I think this was another quarter that really re-emphasized that. You know, I'm reminded of the fact that one of the reasons Bill Gates was so successful in leading Microsoft in the 80s and 90s was his willingness to abandon projects that had a lot of sunk costs, a lot of resource hours thrown at them. Microsoft would invest one, two years in a given initiative. And then if Gates felt like it wasn't working, they'd walk away from it. They would just drop it and move on to something else. Teams does not seem like one of those things. It really feels like Microsoft is going to stick with Teams for a while. Yeah, I tend to agree. And, and just as, as someone who's fiddled around with Teams before, I think it's a really great platform. I found a lot of use out of it. And honestly, I wish we'd use it here more at Full HQ. But, but we are where we are today, and that's just fine. I do like the bets they're making on that side of the business, though, for sure. You know, Aaron, one of the things Microsoft talked about with this latest quarter was more engagement with Xbox. Not surprising, as everyone is trapped inside their home. No one knows more about the gaming industry uh, that I know than you. Where are we right now with the gaming industry? Because it seems like every time I read something about it, people are talking about how the holidays at the end of this year are the key to everything. Is that really the case? I think the holidays will be important because uh, Microsoft's new Xbox system, Sony's new PlayStation system are coming out this holiday season. Um, so there is a lot of hype around that, but I don't think it's as revolutionary as a lot of people uh, think that it is. It definitely is a big deal for the gaming community but from like a business perspective. Um, I think other things perhaps are more important. I mean, with the consoles specifically, we will see demand for sure. Um, like it'll benefit these companies. It might benefit some retailers. It's not the type of thing that's going to save a GameStop, um, which I've ranted on about before. Um, but it will be beneficial. But I also wonder just if there's high unemployment, if these console prices are much higher than than in past generations, will it lead to like a similar explosion out of the gate? I'm not sure. 
Um, but also, I mean, I think it's important to put two other things in perspective. One is that mobile gaming is a much bigger deal than it used to be. It's the biggest and fastest growing category of gaming. So that's not something that is strictly reliant on the holiday season like a new console launch is. And so big parts of of the gaming industry are humming along just fine. And then second, um, <laughs> I, I think in a normal year, the holiday season is more important, but this is not a normal year at all. And we've seen pretty tremendous like results and like crazy stats around how video game engagement both in terms of people playing games and watching other people play games uh, is higher than it's ever been by far esports is legitimizing at a faster pace than i think anybody could have expected we're seeing records broken for like digital unit sales of games so there's there's a lot going on right now that is exciting um, that has nothing to do with the consoles coming up which are exciting in their own way, but the, the industry is a lot bigger than than just Xbox's new console coming out. Uh, last thing before we move on, we've certainly seen it in the entertainment industry that movie production, television production being halted for all the obvious reasons. Is this affecting uh, video game production for companies like Activision Blizzard, Take-Two, and the rest, or are they basically proceeding? It definitely is affecting them. On the consumption layer, again, like with what users are doing, it's it's hitting record highs, but these companies are having to figure out what every single other company in the world is having to figure out. How to work remotely, how to ship results when everybody isn't working with each other the same way. We already have seen some game delays. We'll probably see some more, but I'm optimistic that this is something that, that companies will figure out and this won't stay an issue forever. First quarter revenue for Teladoc came in higher than expected. Shares of the telehealth company down this week, but Jason, even with the drop, Teladoc has doubled in 2020. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been a very good year for the business, and, and I think that's for obvious reasons. It was a good quarter. We kind of knew that already with their pre-announce a little while back, but for me, it was really the full-year guidance that tells the real story, and to put a little context around that, Previously, management had targeted a range of $695 to $710 million in revenue for 2020. The most recent street average had bumped that number to $737 million. As of this release, now management now sees a range of $800 to $825 million in revenue for, for the year. And that's pretty much all organic growth at this point. So, so I think you know, it's, it's safe to say that, that uh, we have now bought into the merits of, of telemedicine as a part of our overall uh, healthcare system. But if we look at the numbers for the quarter, total U.S. paid members grew 61%. Visit fee only members grew 89%. Total visits almost fully doubled from a year ago. Uh, the acquisition of this uh, in-touch health business will also help diversify their revenue stream and their customer base as they ultimately start working on supporting hospital customers looking to establish or expand their telemedicine offerings. Uh, they foresee U.S. paid members at the end of the year of at least 50 million members. That'd be 36% growth from a year ago. Uh, again, visit fee-only access, which is a nice way to get your foot in the door. That'll be around 20 million individuals. And they're calling for total visits of 8 to 9 million, which would be a total visit growth of around 90 to 100% over the prior year. So uh, the, the numbers are all telling a tale here. I think it's important to note all of this guidance. This is all forecast based on no resurgence of the virus here in the back half of the year. Now, of course, we hope there is no resurgence, but the point is that it's a fairly conservative forecast in, in that 
regard. And so I think it all just leads us back to this this notion that, that Teladoc Health is one uh, company out there certainly benefiting from this idea that telemedicine can be a, a nice value add to our overall healthcare system here, not only nationally, but really globally. And I think that's where Teladoc Health shines. It is a comprehensive and global network, and it's continuing to grow like, uh, like gangbusters. Atlassian, the enterprise cloud software company, out with third quarter results on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Aaron, when I think of Atlassian and the way that they develop collaboration software, this also seems like an environment where Atlassian would do even better. Yeah, I mean, maybe surprisingly, it was a pretty boring quarter for Atlassian, which in today's world is a pretty great thing. Um, they, they sell collaboration workflow software which, which is as relevant as it ever has been. I don't necessarily think it's more relevant or less relevant now that people are working remotely, but it still is a, a critical function to the way people work in the vast majority of industries. And the company's low-touch marketing, uh, where no one has to interact with a sales rep to get onboarded and ramped up with their, their products and services, that is perfectly suited for today's environment in particular. So, so this is a company that doesn't have too much to worry about, and it shows in the results. Uh, the company added over 6,000 new customers this quarter. Revenue rose 33%, and that was driven primarily by a 47% increase in subscription revenue. Uh, the company is still spitting out free cash flow, which kind of goes back to that low-touch marketing model that's just a lower cost for the business to run. They have $2 billion in cash. They're still hiring. So this is a business where things are still going well. Um, if there is anything different to note, though, about this quarter, it's that Atlassian is offering up free cloud-based solutions to a bunch of new companies or those who are trying to transition away from on-premise work. That, that free component... Um, won't go on forever. Uh, and there is a short-term cost to it, but that represents the type of long-term thinking that I like to see in the companies that I own. Um, so Atlassian is doing good, and that type of effort that they're putting in to help companies will build loyalty over time. So all in all, I mean, Atlassian, they're doing exactly what anyone, any investor would want to see um, from them as a shareholder. There's a chance that growth slows a little bit as companies are slower to make, you know, types of big decisions around tools, purchasing decisions. Right now, they're focused on other things. But looking out longer term, absolutely nothing has changed about this business. Atlassian has a bunch of different types of software in their portfolio. Is there one in particular that really helps drive business more so than the others? I think Jira, which is kind of like a workflow tool, is their biggest and most important. It was their first product that they made. Um, but really what drives Atlassian is obviously bringing people into those products, but they also have a really good um, approach to knowing when to build something new, when to buy something new, and when to partner with someone. Like they shut down some of their services in exchange for equity and Slack. They decided not to compete with Zoom and partner with Zoom. So they're really good at kind of that holistic strategy. And I think that sets them up really well for when you think about them building like a dominant software enterprise over the next decade. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money.
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with the whole crew, Andy Cross, Aaron Bush, and Jason Moser. Time to get to the stocks on our radar, and our man Dan Boyd's going to hit you with a question. Andy, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? Chris, I'm looking at Beyond Meat. Um, Tyson chairman John Tyson warned this week that the food supply chain is breaking with millions of pounds of beef being lost from slaughterhouses closing and processing facilities closing. So I'm taking a look at Beyond Meat, the maker of plant-based meat substitutes, like it's very popular Beyond Burger. Uh, personally, I'm a fan of the Beyond Sausages, um, but it sells these plant burgers and meats in grocery stores like Whole Foods. It reports earnings next week, has partnerships with McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, it will start offering its Beyond Beef in China for the first time through its partnership with, Sty with Starbucks. It's a $6 billion market cap, one of the hottest IPOs of the year, and the stock's down from its, um, from to below 100 from 235 last year. Founder and CEO Ethan Brown owns 2.5%. Um, so I'm really interested to see what they are talking about with the food supply chain issues that we've been hearing about for the past couple of months in the face of the COVID pandemic. And the ticker? B-Y-N-D. Dan, question about Beyond Meat? Sure, Chris. Andy, let's fast forward to November real quick. Thanksgiving's coming up. Are you buying a Beyond Meat turkey? <laughs> well, since my family doesn't really eat a whole lot of meat, if they had a Beyond Meat turkey, knowing my fan for the Beyond Meat burger and the sausage, I would definitely take a look at it. Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Yeah, taking a look at Medtronic, ticker MDT, uh, you know, they, they, I'm a big fan of healthcare and immersive technology, and, and Medtronic, it's kind of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich there. Chris, it's firing on both cylinders. Um, it's a global medical device company with a long history of innovation. You probably saw in the news recently, they actually uh, made the design and code for its portable ventilator available for all to use in the face of the COVID-19 crisis, which I just thought was really, really nice to see. But they have more than 80 extended reality projects underway across the company, uh, from their diabetes uh, division, uh, also even using extended reality programs to help train the best way to insert glucose sensors. So this is just a company I think is really doing a lot of cool stuff. Looking forward to earnings later this month. Dan, question about Medtronic. All right, Jason, if you can augment one of your senses, what are you going with and why? Ooh, augment one of my senses? Man, I feel like I'd have to augment my hearing because I love music so much and you can just feel it. Aaron Bush, we got less than a minute. What are you looking at? I'm going with DocuSign, ticker D-O-C-U. So there's been a lot of discussion about companies like Zoom and Teladoc lately, but DocuSign is another company that, in my mind, is just so obviously a more important part of the digital future. It was important before the pandemic hit, but it's accelerating what's going on with the e-signature business. And what's great about DocuSign is like is that, like Zoom, it is the verb. It is the word for e-signatures. Two, it has a massive runway left. And then three, it has some good optionality. So it's a $19 billion business, but it's still a lot smaller than the Atlassian Zooms and Adobe's of the world. Dan? Aaron, this week we talked on our podcast about DocuSign getting bought by Adobe. What are your thoughts? Still interested if they do? I think they're almost too big, but maybe worth a shot. What are you adding to your watch list, Dan? I'm going with my man JMO and Medtronic. That's three in a row, baby. Hey, now. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. We're out of time. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.